is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I don't do this typically, but I'm going to do something right now. Laura Ingram. Laura Ingram seems to be a uh, punching bag for the left and for the media. She's a host on Fox, does the 10 p.m. show, gets wonderful ratings. She's a radio host. She worked in the Reagan administration. She clerked for Justice Scalia. The efforts by the left to paint her as something she is not is an old Soviet trick. They go after Hannity, then they'll go after Carlson, Then they go after Ingram. But I want to address this. I want to show you how this works. This is the Huffington Post, which is a left-wing website rag, if you will. Here's the headline. Laura Ingram distances herself from racist freak who agreed with her rant. Fox News host Laura Ingram defended her controversial anti-immigrant comments on Thursday and disavowed the white nationalists and one racist freak who endorsed those remarks. Although Ingram didn't name the individual, she's likely referring to former KKK leader David Duke, who tweeted and then deleted praise for her comments, in which she lamented the massive demographic changes caused by immigration and said in some parts of the country, it does seem like the America that we know and love doesn't exist anymore. So by saying that statement, you see, Laura Ingram is what? A white supremacist? A racist? And because a couple of nut jobs agree with her, then that means she is one of them? And this, of course, comes from our free press. From our free press. The left can't have it both ways. The left can't say on the one hand by 2044, I think it was Biden who said it, or Obama that the minority will be the majority. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Or these ethnic front groups, which have as their purpose the quote-unquote reconquering of California and Texas and New Mexico and Arizona. We have open borders. Of course there's going to be a massive demographic change in this country. She's stating a fact. Of course communities are changing rapidly as a result of the open borders. That is a fact. Local school districts, local town councils and mayors, states are all having to deal with this. Having to find people who speak various languages. The left wants it both ways. They want people who vote to have the ballot in the language of of two, three, four, five different native tongues. Same with our schools. And then Laura Ingram points out the obvious, and she must be a white supremacist of the sort of David Duke and the KKK. Is there anything whatsoever in her background that indicates that? Nothing. Nothing. 
So the goal here is to shut her down so she can't raise objections, so she can't talk about what she actually sees and notices. Of course, they're demographic changes. They're demographic changes in Germany. Demographic changes in France. Demographic changes in England. Demographic changes in America. That's what immigration does. It creates demographic changes. The problem is, Huffington Post, is the lack of assimilation, which you object to, which you oppose. Assimilation. Embracing the principles of the founding of this country. Embracing our economic system. Because the left hates the founding of this country, the left hates our Constitution, and hates capitalism. And they show us every single day by celebrating the 28-year-old who won by 17, who got 17,000 votes in New York City and so forth. But of course there are massive demographic changes going on. More and more people don't speak English and don't want to speak English. Is that good? Are you a white supremacist for pointing it out? There are black people who point this out. There are Latinos who point this out. There are Asians who point it out. People of all backgrounds who point it out. You can't be a melting pot if you have two, three, four, five different languages. I'm not talking about second languages. I'm talking about your primary language. And so this effort underway to try and intimidate her. So she has to watch every syllable that comes out of her mouth. And then you have fools like S.E. Cup, who was sold out to the left-wing kooks over there at CNN. To many, that sounded racist, Cup wrote for CNN. That's because it is. You're a disgrace. You're a clown, Cup. A clown. To say that Ingram sounds like a racist. And you know she's not, and you know she doesn't. Appalling. Absolutely appalling. This is how they view us, folks. This is how they talk about us. This is how they trash us. This is why they hate Trump. And they want to show you, you see, that they're better than Laura Ingram. They're better than everybody out there. They're better than all of us. Because they don't think this way. They don't speak this way. So we must be racists for noticing the obvious, for wanting to secure our borders, for wanting to have immigration laws, for wanting assimilation, because we love our culture. We love our, de- we, we, we love our system. And people are fleeing their cultures and fleeing their systems, and they ought to assimilate into this country. This isn't new. This is as old as the country. You have to show allegiance to the country. We spend all our time talking about illegal aliens and foreigners coming into this country. And if you don't get in line and you don't walk in uh, march step with the left, then they take shots at you. You must be a racist. Oh, well, David Duke agrees with you? David Duke agrees with you. Now, these are the same people who barely blinked When Keith Ellison, the number two man at the DNC who wanted to be the number one man, has spent part of his life working for Farrakhan. They don't say a damn thing about the anti-Semitic things this man said. 
They were perfectly happy with Obama and what he was doing to the state of Israel. Perfectly happy. No problem. And I could go on and on and on with the Democrats and the left. So you try and paint this woman as something you know she's not? To try and shut her down? To try and get her fired? She wants the borders secured. So do we. Only legal immigration and limit it. And we're not talking about the race of somebody. We're not talking about the background of somebody. Unless, of course, they're criminals. We want law-abiding people coming into this country the right way, who want to be here, not to make $2, because they want to be Americans. We have so many people coming so fast into this country, legally and illegally, assimilation is almost impossible. And then we have the forces on the left that don't want assimilation. They want as many people, even born in America, as stupid and reliant on government as possible. As possible. It's just appalling seeing what they do to people. You hang in there, Laura. You got an army of millions behind you. We're not going to allow these statists with their tyrannical techniques and their totalitarian mindsets to shut us up. You didn't say anything wrong. You didn't say anything racist. And you shouldn't be intimidated either. We're not racists. Not in the least. We believe in freedom for everybody. That's why we support capitalism. That's why we support the Constitution. That's why we support the franchise, the legitimate franchise for legitimate voters. We're the ones who stand for individualism and freedom in a colorblind society. Not you, S-E, cop. It's with the S-E. What the hell does that stand for anyway? Stupid? I'll be right back. Mark in. PR team, we don't send all my clips all over the world to draw attention to this show. We're a big show. We don't need to do that. We have our digital TV and we have the Fox show. This uh, Ocasio-Cortez, the fact that she won't debate, did that start last week? Did that start yesterday? That she won't debate? Mr. Producer on this program contacted her people repeatedly to try and get her on this program, and I told you about it back in June. The Levin TV folks tried to get a hold of her repeatedly to bring her on Levin TV. She wouldn't come. Our Fox folks tried to get her on my Sunday Fox program. She wouldn't come. I announced that to all of you at the time. She won't come on the show. She doesn't want to debate. This is why, in some respects, this business is so pathetic. It's so pathetic with the copycats and the others. I don't copy anybody. 
I sit down at my desk. I think with my own brain. I don't want to be like anybody else. I don't want to pull antics. I just want to help save this republic. I want to engage the opponents and the enemies. And one day I'll ride off into the sunset. And it's not just Ocasio-Cortez. We've been asking Bernie Sanders now forever to come on any of my programs. He won't. They don't even answer us. This is from June 29, 2018. By my calculation, that's what? Six weeks ago? Something like that? No. Four, five, five, six weeks ago, something like that? Cut to go. Do the progressives today look at Aristotle? Cicero, Sidney, and Locke? No. No. They look to Marx and Hegel. This, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the reasons Bernie Sanders will not debate me on any of my media platforms, on radio, on Levin TV, on the Fox News channel. He won't debate me because I know what he knows. He knows what I know. And we both know if we would sit down for an hour and have a discussion... I would thoroughly and completely expose him. This is why the 28-year-old young lady who was just elected the so-called Socialist Democrat in New York will not come on this show. Because she knows that I know what she knows. And she knows what I know. And she doesn't want to have a discussion with me. She'd rather go on MSNBC and CNN. And that was only the first time we asked her. Immediately after the election, June 29. And here's a recent one, July 27, 2018, same thing. Cut three, go. Mr. Producer, I want us to try again. We've tried to get her on the radio show, correct? My guys have tried to get her on Levin TV. My other guys have tried to get her on Life, Liberty, and Levin. She won't come on. Just be very polite. Say, hey, look, he wants to have a serious discussion with you about democratic socialism versus republicanism, little r, and capitalism. That he, that is, I, believe is far more compassionate and humane than democratic socialism. And we can do this for a whole hour. I'll have her on for the entire hour. Let's give it another shot, okay? I'm quite serious about this, folks. And I, I won't, I mean, it'll be tough. I won't be snarky or sarcastic or won't talk down to her. I say, it'll be tough, but keep it at a very high level, and let's get at it. Same with Bernie Sanders, her mentor. How many times have we asked his office to come on this show? Repeatedly, right, Mr. Producer? What, do they, they just ignore you as at it? They don't even answer you. Yeah. Why, am I part of the proletariat or something? Uh, we've tried to get him on my Fox show. We've tried to get him on uh, CRTV, on Levin TV. It just won't answer. Why do they hide from me? We've tried Kamala Harris. No. We've tried Chuck Schumer. No. Because I'm serious about engaging these people and debating with these people. It's not an antic with me. I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. I want to get, I want to get at it. I want to gauge them. They won't do it. Now, way back in March... Of 2012, March 13 on 2012, I desperately wanted to have a debate with Barack Obama. 2012, cut four, go. I see my friend Sarah Palin has challenged Obama to a debate because now he's running ads against her. <laughs> I mean, come on. 
Well, I'll tell you what. I will give. You ready for this, Mr. Producer? $50,000 to Obama's super PAC if he will debate me for one hour. Now, he's flying all over the country in exchange for meals and handshakes and photos. People are giving a lot less than that. Just one hour a debate. Doesn't even have to be televised. In fact, we'll do it right here on this program. Be very professional, be very fair, equal time, just a debate. Well, as you can imagine, nothing came of that. Well, a few years later, we gave it another run, and I, I increased it to 100000 Cut five from November 3, 2015. Go ahead. Now, I have offered Barack Obama on multiple occasions to come on this show where we would have a serious, professional, honest debate for an hour. And I've said I will give $100,000 to his favorite charity. He's not coming on this show, Mr. Tough Guy. He's not coming on this show. He can do all this crap in front of a DNC crowd or pretend Praetorian Guard journalist or some damn fool with an iPod, iPod broadcast. But he would never come on this show, never lower himself to come on this show. Believe me, I'd be lowering myself to have him on this show. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. This is the nation's town hall meeting, and you can join in at 877-381-3811. You see, I defend people who don't even defend me. When I was under attack March of 2017 for pointing out what I thought was laid out by the media themselves, the... Uh, espionage activities that were taking place against Trump world, FISA court and so forth, I could count three people who came to my defense. But it doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen. The point is we, we try to do what's right. The left doesn't get to define Laura Ingram. They don't get to define me. They don't get to define Rush or Sean or anybody else. They do not get to define us. They're the problem. They're the problem. It's their party that is associated with the Klan. Not ours. You have to fight back. Now more on these debates that people are suddenly fascinated with. I need a PR team. I need to do what these other guys do. I have one or two guys where their whole job, Mr. Producer, is to get us out there. We don't do that. If I want to send something to somebody, I'll send it to a couple of buddies of mine. Maybe they have some websites or not or I'll just not send it to anybody. I don't have a PR team. Everybody has a PR team. I don't have one. I don't want one. Two more, just to play along, and I could have given you 25 of these. July 15, 2014. Eric Holder. Cut six, go. We have attempted today to get a hold of Eric Holder, to have him on the program, to debate me on the issue of race. This isn't, a game. It's not intended to uh, be controversial or anything of the sort. This is a big show with many, many millions of people. And Eric Holder would have a huge format to debate the lowly me about race. So we have made every effort to lend this format to Eric Holder to talk with me about race. Therefore, Eric Holder has to be certified as a coward by his own term, by his own meaning. All right. Uh, then there was, of course, 
Hillary Clinton. I've tried to debate all of them. And I've offered some of them money. I've offered some of them money for their charities or their PACs, or just money. September 27, 2016. Cut seven, go. What can I do to debate this woman? I'll put $100,000 on the table. I'll give it to whomever she wants, whenever she wants. Can I debate her? Please, please, pretty please. I would love to debate her. And I'm not running for anything. And it goes on. Yep, 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 yep. I just want conservatism to be treated as a serious philosophy by serious people. And to make the case. That's all. We uh, reached out. I'll tell you this now. I hadn't told, told you this before. Yesterday, we reached out to CNN. I wanted to interview Jim Acosta. I don't do this as an antic. I do this because I want to talk to him. Their senior PR person for communications got back to Rich, my producer, and said that, unfortunately, he's not available, but keep, keep us you know, in touch. He's not available forever? We didn't even give him a day or time, did we, Mr. Producer? Yeah, we gave him many days, several days. Uh, and I will keep it open anytime, Mr. Acosta. I will interrupt whatever I'm doing, other interviews, for you to come on the radio show so we can talk about freedom of the press, talk about how you view it, talk about how you do your job. I mean, you have time to fly to L.A., well, I guess not, to New York, to do Stephen Colbert. You have time to do whatever you want to do. Why not come on my show? I'm just a stupid talk show host. Freedom of the press and all that, brother. But he won't. I'm not going to make any antics out of this or create one or so forth. Just, he just won't. So uh, we try to get these liberals on. We try to get – we even tried to get John Stewart on years ago. Remember that, Mr. Producer? Wouldn't come on. He wouldn't come on. Why? Because he doesn't have his 40 comic writers. That's why. Took a shot at me. I said, okay, come on. He wouldn't come on. It's unfortunate, isn't it? All right, let's get down to some uh, heavy-duty stuff now. China. What, are you obsessed with China, Mark? Uh, No, I'm not. But China is obsessed with us. And our buddy Gordon Chang, writing at the uh, Daily Beast, and we really need to hear this. To gain advantage in the intensifying trade war with the United States, China threatened to retaliate against Apple Computer, Apple Inc., with an incredible public statement. China is by, and I'm quoting, China is by far the most important overseas market for the U.S.-based Apple, leaving it exposed, this is the Chinese, if Chinese people make it a target of anger and nationalist sentiment. People's Daily stated in an article titled, Strong Sales of U.S. Brands, Including Apple, Give China Bargaining Chips and Trade Row. The article, reprinted from a sister newspaper, went on, quote, China doesn't want to close its doors to Apple despite the trade conflict. But if the U.S. company wants to earn good money in China, it needs to share its development dividends with the Chinese people. Sounds like Bernie Sanders. The article in the Communist Party's and therefore China's most authoritative publication added one more implied threat. Quote, it is impractical and unreasonable to kick the company out of China. But if Apple wants to continue raking in enormous profits from the Chinese markets amid trade tensions, 
The company needs to do more to share the economic cake with local Chinese people. As I said, that that sounds like Bernie. In fact, that sounds like most Democrats. So they're now threatening Apple. This is why these international corporations that go into these, um, these autocracies and set up these companies and invest, in some cases, billions of dollars and build these plants are fools. You can build them here. You can build them in allied countries. That's great. The law is unstable in these autocracies. One change in leadership, one change in the Politburo, something like this. Now they're threatening Apple. You're going to give us your technology, and you're going to give us a lot of your money. And unfortunately, Apple now, because it is sold out, is stuck. In a country filled with customers, crazy for Apple products, writes Gordon Chang, the only way the American brand would become a target of ire is if the political leadership was determined to make it so, as Beijing has done with other foreign businesses. Chinese officials have organized protests against a host of Japanese companies, and more recently, the Lot Group, the South Korean retail and tourism conglomerate. The Communist Party has also gone after Apple before. In March of 2013, for instance, Chinese officials took a series of actions suggesting they were seeking to undermine the brand. Apple's long-term future in the People's Republic was engraved out long before President Trump challenged the U.S.-China trade status quo. Alan Tunnelson, a Washington, D.C.-based trade expert, told the Daily Beast, Beijing's economic game plan has always called for kicking out or marginalizing foreign companies as soon as Chinese entities could adequately create their own products and services. With several Chinese smartphone producers nearing full global competitiveness, Beijing had already been undermining the company that is Apple. But while official campaigning against Apple by Chinese ruler Xi Jinping had worked in the past, there's been a remarkable lack of patriotic sentiment, this time expressed, against either the United States or Apple. Why? For one thing, there's a sizable group of elite Chinese who happen to agree with Trump, or at least with the actions of his administration. Quote, people I have spoken with in China universally acknowledge the U.S. is justified in launching the trade war, unquote, Charles Burton of Brock University told me. On just completed travel from one end of China to the other, Shanghai, Kunming, and Linyi, the noted Canadian China watcher heard people say that American charges of unfair trade practices and coercive or illegal acquisition of U.S. technology are fully valid. Burton noticed something else, also suggested by others in recent days. There is, he told me, a general consensus that Mr. Xi has brought shame on China by his dishonorable trade policies, which violate the core teachings of Confucian tradition, upholding honesty and openness in all dealings as the mark of the cultured and upright government official. But no, he's a communist. So should anybody be surprised? Not all observers have put this observation in the context of ancient philosophical thought, but there is around China an evident unease at flagrant intellectual property theft, especially now that Trump has made what looks like an uncompromising stand on the issue, although uh, I, I just wonder how widespread that really is. 
At the beginning of this year, there was a general consensus in Beijing that Xi could manage Trump, that the Americans' China, China, China rhetoric was merely campaign trail blather. This view, at first, looked to be correct, given Trump's effusive words of Xi at and following the Mar-a-Lago summit last April. Until recently, looked like Trump was following in the footsteps of Presidents Clinton, Bush, and Obama, who all talked tough on China as they sought office and then defaulted to decades-old engagement, quote-unquote, policy once entering the White House. That's changed. Academic Yang Jing of Beijing's Remnant University has since become a star in the Chinese capital because he did not dismiss Trump's trade rhetoric. And Xi Jinping is now under relentless attack for provoking the once-sleeping Americans. Communist Party bigwigs are at this moment thought to be at their semi-secret annual retreat where the new conventional wisdom is that party elders will chop China's once absolute supremo down to size. Well, this I have to see to believe, ladies and gentlemen, but there is hope. If Xi is in fact diminished, Apple, among other companies, will be safer. Xi is thought to be behind the plan to launch precision strikes on U.S. businesses. In other words, holding them as hostages. That brings us back to Apple. CNBC's Jim Cramer thinks Beijing will leave the company alone because attacking it would be playing with fire. Cramer therefore predicts Chinese officials will target some other companies first. But if Beijing goes after any American companies, it would more likely be an historic mistake that would warn others to stay away from China. As the New York Times reported, trade friction is already forcing multinationals to think of moving supply chains away from China. Xi's retaliation could get them to do more than think about it. That's what many in Beijing have been worried about after especially pugnacious comments from Xi late last June. The South China Morning Post quoted officials saying that targeting U.S. firms in China has never been in the cards. Therefore, the extortionist demand by the People Daily looks like it will wound Xi Jinping and his China more than the United States and its iconic company. Well, time will tell. This is why I keep touting this Sunday show, because it, it, it'll blow you away on Life, Liberty, and Levin at 10 p.m. Eastern. With Dr. Michael Pillsbury, who's been working on this and observing this literally for decades. And he will tell you what's going on here. And he will get behind the scenes, even of this article, and explain what's taking place. How China's doing what it's doing. And not just technically psychologically, and otherwise. So I'm strongly urging you to make sure, because it's Friday evening, you check out Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox, 10 p.m. Eastern, on Sunday. Look, if you don't, it doesn't really affect me. I'm just saying I really want you to check it out. Because you're going to hear people talking about this show during the course of the week. This I can promise you. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. again, you're not going to believe this. This time, turns out that an identity protection company that I'm sure you've heard of, very famous, hasn't been so careful in protecting the email addresses of their customers. And many were compromised. Believe that? So please hear me. The only identity company that I trust to protect me and my family is my ID care. That's why we've switched to them. 
You must take this stuff seriously. If you have credit cards, do online banking, or even use email, you're vulnerable. I don't worry, because I switch my identity protection to the guys who've been protecting Fortune 500 companies for years. My ID Care. You can get their stellar protection, too, at myidcare.com slash mark. You'll also get 15% off. Just enter promo code mark. That's myidcare.com slash mark, promo code mark. Now, I'm proud to partner with My ID Care. They take great care of their customers and our data. And they cover us for the nine types of identity theft. For less than 10 bucks a month, My ID Care can even help if you're already a victim. Learn more. And then let my ID care take care of you. Myidcare.com slash mark, enter promo code mark and get fifteen percent off. Myidcare.com slash mark promo code mark. China. China sent six warnings to a US Navy plane operating in the South China Sea in international airspace over international water. And they ordered the American crew, quote, to leave immediately and keep out. But the U.S. Navy aircraft stayed the course, insisting it was within its legal rights. Now, this incident follows a report from the Philippine government revealing that China has been sending out threatening radio queries to foreign ships and planes at an increased frequency. So our ships, our Navy, has not been affected because we won't Listen to it. But you cannot miss what China's doing here. And the president of the United States is doing exactly the right thing. You know I'm a free trader, except when it comes to enemy nations. I don't view China as I view Canada. China's the enemy. We may not view China as the enemy, but China views us as the enemy. And they're prepared to steal all of Apple's technology and steal its money. And they've already stolen technology. I say to the president, keep pummeling China. They are a national security threat. And, I, and you'll know why, again, after the Sunday show, in so many ways, their techniques and what they're doing. I mean, I learned things I had no idea about, none. It's just incredible what they're doing. And they are not leaving any stone unturned, whether it's our educational system, whether it's our media, whether it's think tanks, whether it's civilian use of resources and technology, whether it's military use of resources and technology, militarizing space. Geographically, creating new bases, working with other countries, they are on the move. And the reason is, as Dr. Pillsbury explains, they have within their own ranks said to themselves, a lot of this is, comes from secret information that's now public, uh, legitimately so, not, not in any uh, untoward way, that is in this book. And um, they, you know, the communist revolution succeeded in, uh, in uh, 1949 in China. Well, their objective for the last several decades, has been the world's number one superpower come 2049, their 100-year anniversary. And Dr. Pillsbury says they're well on their way. While our Congress fiddles, while we're focused 
on Russia. It can be focused on Russia, but not exclusively. While we've spent 10 years undermining the United States military, it's absolutely incredible. As we sort of self-implode and they are on the march. And it's very, very dangerous. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. So we wanted to have a discussion with Jim Acosta about freedom of the press, about CNN, about him. Uh, and he won't come on the program. Ever. Ever. I think it's pretty relevant right now. But he follows the course of others who won't either. And I'm sitting here minding my own business, and I'm listening to the news at the top of the hour. I don't know what news you get, but the network news I get is just awful. Every anti-Trump spin you can imagine. So Amoroso, all of a sudden, is a newsmaker. Nobody cares about her. Nobody ever cared about her. If she'd written a positive book about Trump, they'd blow her off. You'd never see her on TV. But the Associated Press got an advanced copy. I wonder how that happened. It's from the publisher and their publicist, Hawk in the Book. When the president wasn't at, uh, you know, at these various uh, sites, when, uh, when his wife wasn't around, he was like a dog on a leash. Or uh, he said the N-word. And he did this and he did that. People will do anything for money. I'm just telling you. This woman gained fame through Trump's show Apprentice. He brings her into the White House. Apparently, she's a pain in the ass. Rude to a lot of people. I don't know. I'm just telling you what I read. And finally, reluctantly, they remove her. General Kelly does. They say she was taping the president. Taping the president without his not that ought to be a crime, okay? I don't care who the president is. He's got to be able to consult with his appointees. You can't undermine the office of the presidency this way. But whatever. She will be on TV like Stormy Daniels was on TV. And Stormy Daniels, slip and fall lawyer. She will be on TV like Michael Wolf, the other author, who sleaze the president. She will be pushed out there. She'll be all over MSNBC, all over uh, CNN, all over, because it's not news, but they want to get her story out. They can't confirm any of it. It doesn't matter. You got a midterm election coming up. They want him removed from office. If Mueller doesn't do it, they want the House to do it. You need Democrats to try. And so they're going to push this. And so now Amarosa is going to be everywhere. And you dare not question her. Because she's a woman and an African-American. You can't say anything. Because then you're like David Duke. Then you're like David Duke and the Klan. Can't say anything. 
Incredible, isn't it? I mean, I'm telling you exactly how this is going to roll out. It's already rolling out this way. So the book's not out, but AP has it. Top of the news, network news, the news that I have to listen to, already pushing out little nuggets in the book. Like the Comey book. They don't pay any attention to my books. They don't pay, which are serious books. They don't pay any attention to Greg Garrett's book or Judge Deneen's book or or a Gutfeld's book, or you name it. But this nobody, Amarosa, and she is a nobody. She was on the inside, don't you know? She heard everything. President of the United States. Absolutely incredible. Just to keep pushing the narrative over there at the Jake Tapper. And Jake Tapper, where, where, where's that where he's attacking Sean, Mr. Producer? Do we have that? Let's let's play cut 13, because Jake Tapper now has assigned himself the responsibility to determining who's a journalist, who's not. And Jake Tapper was a mouthpiece for a left-wing House candidate, Mezvinsky. Remember her? Remember Mezvinsky? Well, he was her communications director, whatever the title was. He was also a mouthpiece for handguns controlling. But now he's a journalist, and he gets to decide who is and who isn't. Well, he's not. What makes him a journalist? See, self-assigning? Self-designating? Why is he a journalist? I'm serious. Why is he a journalist? Cut 13. Go. He will talk to Lester Holt. And by, and by this Amanda Carpenter, somebody I've liked in the past. But boy, does she have a hate on for Trump. She used to work for Ted. Cut 13. Go. He will talk to Lester Holt. He will talk to Sean Hannity, but he won't talk to somebody when he's accountable for it. And so I think that's a political answer because he wants to make this thing all political to try to win that argument. But I think people who want to see this investigation come to a close have to put the pressure on that question of why he will talk to journalists, but not Mueller. Well, I don't know. if uh, let, me, let, me, let me help you out, Amanda. The reason's simple. One can indict and one can't. One is a criminal matter. One is not. It's so obvious. Why are you posing such a foolish question? Why are you posing such a foolish question? He can talk to journalists, but not a prosecutor? So you don't think the president should talk to journalists? No, I think he should talk to the prosecutor. But that would be stupid. Why should he do that? What, are you afraid? I mean, it's not a question of afraid. It's a question of being a rational attorney, giving rational advice. You really need to be a little bit more circumspect. I've liked you, like what you've written in the past, but you're really flipping out. Let's start from the top, because otherwise we won't get all of Jake Tapper. Go ahead. He will talk to Lester Holt. He will talk to Sean Hannity, but he won't talk to somebody when he's accountable for it. And so I think that's a political answer because he wants to make this thing all political to try to win that argument. But I think people who want to see this investigation come to a close have to put the pressure on that question of why he will talk to journalists, but not Mueller. Well, I don't know if everybody mentioned there was a journalist, but okay. Oh, uh, sure, but, sure. I mean, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good one, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> that Jake, he's a funny guy. I don't know if everyone mentioned there was a journalist, but certainly Lester Holt is. Yeah, yeah, because I agree with Lester. I like Lester. Lester's a journalist. Sean Honey, of course not. He's on Fox. Nobody on Fox is a journalist except Shep Smith and the others who disagree with the president. Yeah, they're journalists. Sean doesn't say he's a journalist, but you do. That's the difference. Sean is honest. You're not, Jake. 
You're an ideologue. Every now and then you'll throw a crumb out there. So some uh, conservative will say, but Jake's pretty good. Look, he balances things. Look what he said over here and he said it. But Jake, some of us are old enough, wise enough. We know what you're doing. You're a fraud. And you're not the only fraud at CNN. CNN's filled with frauds like Wolf Blitzer with his leading questions. Don Lemon, dumb as a rock. Brian Stouter, dumb as two rocks. And what else is over? Oh, Chris Cuomo, dumb as three rocks. CNN, no ratings. And yet there they are. So Amarosa has a book coming out. And so, you know, we have to interview her. She's very important. Like James Comey, a liar, a leaker. But hey, we got to promote his story too. Anybody who writes a book trashing Trump and claims on the thinnest read to have inside information like this guy Michael Wolf, they will push it and push it and push it. That's why we know that the Praetorian Guard media protecting the left, protecting the Democrats. This is also why we know that not a single major story involving the FISA warrant, the dossier, the spy in the Trump campaign and so forth was broken by CNN or MSNBC or any of them. Because most of the sources that have been providing information to these so-called news outlets are Trump-hating sources. They don't want to get any of them in trouble. They want to use them to promote their ideological agenda. We can have a free press, but that doesn't mean it's a press with any integrity. It just means the government doesn't intervene. So we have a free press because the government doesn't intervene, unless, of course, you have a President Obama who sticks the FBI on members of the media, uh, but media apparently doesn't care. So the press is free to do as it does, but that doesn't mean what it does is the truth. Jake Tapper, you're a fraud. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. say this bluntly, you really have to wonder at this point where we're dealing with Iran, which is an extremely dangerous country. We're dealing with North Korea. Same thing. China, enormously, gravely dangerous. Russia, too. Turkey, with its Islamo-Nazi dictator, which has been threatening us, threatening our allies, which has kept as a hostage our so-called NATO ally, a pastor who hasn't done a damn thing. The president has all that on his plate. And I don't even have to get to domestic policies. And the continuing assault on him. Outrageous, wild statements about him. You have to wonder if the people who talk like this really care about our country. I think it's a fair question. A person like Amarosa or the so-called journalists at CNN. We're only looking for the facts. We're trying to make sure the guy's not lying. No, you're not. You're cowards. I could invite every single one of these guys on this program. None of them would come. Because they're not used to being questioned. And I would do so in a very civil way. 
But you have these so-called news organizations that are propaganda mills, and they are 24-7 hate Trump operations. Again, this isn't about freedom of the press. The government is not being used to stifle them. Quite the contrary. Nobody's stifling them. It's about their abuse of this power and their unprofessionalism and their ideological drive and their hatred for this man and obviously all the people who support him. And they bring the same kinds of guests on who reinforce that and others who may not. They're given short shrift. They're cut off. Same at MSNBC, Washington Post, New York Times, you name them. Do they really care? about this country when they conduct themselves this way? They know what's going on. They see it. The reasons tensions between the United States and Turkey are on the rise is because of Turkey. It's because of Erdogan. You have a president who is strong. This is what amazes me about people like Bill Kristol and Neocon and others. Some at National Review, some at other places who always have claimed that they're hawks, they're strong on national security. This president has been stronger on national security than any president since Reagan. And I know this upsets the code pink Republicans, the isolationists. But the president's dealing with reality. He's dealing with reality. China's out of control. Russia is threatening us. North Korea now has nukes. Iran is getting nukes. Turkey has gone south. And he sees the reality of this. He's briefed on it. He digests the information. And he's dealing with it. He's trying to build up our military, which was eviscerated under Obama and six years of Republican rule in the Congress. He's trying to secure our border to protect the interior of the United States. He's trying to do all these things and and look at the attacks against him. It's pretty damn outrageous. So you have to wonder, wow, my beautiful wife just walked in. So you have to wonder if these people care about the country. I do. All right, Mr. Producer, the call screen's not up. Give me your best one. XM Satellite, Charlie in Florida. Mr. Producer has his mouth full of food, by the way. Uh, you're on, sir. How are you? Hey, thanks, Mark. God bless you for what you do for us, man. Thank uh, you. The, the deal is, you were talking about China earlier and the cost of doing with China. Well, I'm the aerospace industry with a global company, and it has been nothing but detrimental to our business because of the amount of counterfeit goods that China floods the market with. We quit doing business with the Chinese companies, but now we actually had to stand up a whole infrastructure within our organizations to monitor every vendor that we buy from to validate down to a screw that we're not getting counterfeit parts. So why are we doing business with these type of people? Well, we are not. Certain businesses are doing business with these kinds of people, right? Fair enough. As a country, we're not doing anything. It's the individual companies, consumers. 
Well, I'm not even referring to consumer electronics. I'm talking about, you know, aerospace, government. No, but I mean consumers. I don't mean, I'm not necessarily talking about an individual. Consumers, companies that buy from companies. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why, why people think it's, it's worthwhile to do business with China when all it does is cost us more in the long run. Well, what's Apple going to do? That's Apple's business. They shouldn't have been there in China in the first place. Mm -hmm. All right, my friend. Yeah, I'm choking on a carrot, but thank you. I appreciate it. Let's go to Jimmy, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go. Earlier you were talking about immigration and the immigration problem. There's a well-known, very active, very, very important communist woman, Frances Fox Pivens. Her and her husband put out a... Oh, yes, we're well aware of them, but go ahead. Okay, I was at an event at the Brecht Forum, and Frances Fox Pivens said... We're going to get the changes we want, largely through minorities and immigration. So they know what they're doing, pushing immigration into this country at the same time they're having people here enticing them to come in. Also at this talk, Francis Fox Piven says under the... Well, last time I checked, the leaders of the Democrat Party who've been pushing this agenda are not all minorities. I'm talking about they're selling minorities in. There's a reason, because they've been teaching for decades that capitalism... You don't mean minorities. You mean certain cultures that have been well, this uh, is what indoctrinating individuals. This is, this is what Francis Fox Piven said. We're going to get the changes we want largely through minorities and immigration. She also went on to say at the same talk that under the radar, Obama placed plenty of good people throughout the bureaucracy... Now, this was at the Brecht Forum roughly six years ago, but then it was played on C-SPAN, so you could track this down. Now, her and her husband are famous for the Cloward-Pivens thesis, where they talk about collapsing America from within by overwhelming its system. So they have so many different strategies and tactics going on simultaneously, you could get dizzy turning your head all over looking at everything that they're doing. And with, with this, now we have the threat, obvious threat, from Russia, China, and, and their allies, Iran and the others. And then we have the threat from within. It, it's a pretty rough situation. And uh, I'm really pleasantly surprised how Trump is handling these, uh, these problems. But I don't think the American people is really aware how important this next election is. I mean, we, we are really... Well, you know what? I'm, I am furious. People can spin this election all they want. That, that 12th district in Ohio, for 87% of the Democrats to turn out and 40% of the Republicans. What the hell's wrong with Republicans? I don't know. Let's don't, not play don't... games here. Oh, it'll be fine. Oh, it'll be... If Republicans don't turn out, he loses. I mean, you can get Democrats and independents, but he needs the bulk of the Republicans. The bulk of the Republicans say they support the president 90%. What, only 40% can get off their asses and vote? The hell's that? All right, Jimmy, thanks for your call. We'll be back. Mark Levin, the most passionate conservative on radio. Talk with him now at 877-381-3811. It's the middle of the night, and you're tossing, turning, covered in sweat. Now, you can run the AC or a fan to try and keep cool, or you can get rid of your heat-trapping mattress and sleep as cool as the other side of the pillow, like I do, on a Casper mattress. All Casper mattresses use premium foams that relieve pressure and help align your body, so you fall asleep feeling comfortable and wake up feeling refreshed. And thanks to the breathable material, you're guaranteed to sleep cool all summer long. 
Cash ships for free in a box so small, you won't believe it even holds a mattress. That's so you can try it risk-free for 100 nights. Now, if you don't love yours, they'll come pick it up and refund you everything. Sleep cool and comfortably every night. Get it, Casper. Try yours for 100 nights with free shipping and returns. Go to Casper.com and use Mark, and uh, that use that promo code. You'll get $50 towards the purchase of select mattresses. That's Casper.com, code Mark. Casper.com, terms and conditions apply. Diane Feinstein, a.k.a. Diane Frankenfeinstein, and her ties to China. Her party doesn't care about it. The media do not care about it. Our government doesn't care about it. But as pointed out in The Federalist by Ben Weingarten, who is an outstanding writer, he says in part, part, remember she had this spy as a driver, for the last 40 years, no politician in America has arguably maintained a deeper, more long-standing, and friendlier relationship with China, the highest levels of its ruling Communist Party, than Dianne Feinstein. It, date backs to, oh, it, back, it dates back to opening the U.S.-Chinese diplomatic relations in 1979. Shortly thereafter, Feinstein, then mayor of San Francisco, established a sister-city relationship with Shanghai, one of the earliest and most robust such relationships in U.S.-China history. Soon after, she led a mayoral delegation to China joined by her husband, investor Richard Blum, a trip they took together many times over the ensuing years as the relationship between both Feinsteins and China grew. During the 1980s, as mayor of San Francisco, Feinstein developed a close friendship with Shanghai Mayor Zheng Zemin. Uh-huh. This substantially enhanced Feinstein's foreign policy profile and created an important linkage to the U.S. government. For China's Communist Party. Just as Feinstein rose to a prominent position in foreign affairs and national security in the U.S. Senate, first on the Foreign Relations Committee and later as chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, Zhang rose to the top of Chinese leadership, serving as chairman of the Central Military Commission, general secretary of the Communist Party, and president of the People's Republic of China. Under Zhang's leadership, the PRC initiated a brutal crackdown against practitioners of Falun Gong, including mass imprisonments, beatings, torture, rape, organ harvesting, and murder, and engaging in alleged human rights atrocities against Tibetans. Feinstein never renounced her friendship with Zhang in spite of these acts. Feinstein and Zhang reportedly visited each other regularly in the 1980s, with Zhang once spending Thanksgiving in San Francisco with Feinstein and her husband. Zhang supposedly danced with Feinstein during one such visit, which surely must have been a propaganda coup for the Communist Party in China, a la Ted Kennedy and the Soviets. In 1986, Feinstein and Zhang designated several corporate entities for fostering commercial relations, one named Shanghai Pacific Partners. Feinstein's husband served as a director. His financial position was relatively small, less than 500000 on one project, the only such position in China the Feinstein family held when Feinstein entered the Senate in 1992. That project, however, which Blum's firm participated in alongside the PRC state-run Shanghai Investment Trust Corporation, was one of the first joint ventures between San Francisco and Chinese investors, reportedly cited by, San Fr- uh, 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 excuse me, by Chinese officials as a testament to the friendly business ties between Shanghai and San Francisco, 
that Feinstein had initiated. Subsequently, Blum's investments in the Middle Kingdom mushroomed. In May 1993, Feinstein expressed her strong support on the Senate floor for continued trading with China. Contemporaneously, her husband was seeking to raise up to $150 million from investors, including himself, for a variety of Chinese enterprises. In August 1993, Feinstein and her husband visited Beijing for extensive meetings with Chinese leaders at President Jing's invitation. As the Los Angeles Times reported in 1994 expose on Feinstein's husband's business ties and the potential conflict of interest they presented, quote, such encounters are fondly remembered when deals are clinched back in China, according to American experts in Chinese business practices. They said that Feinstein's consistent support for China's interests cannot help but benefit her husband's efforts to earn profits there. The historical record suggests these American experts were right. Blum successfully raised $160 million for the aforementioned Asia Fund under his Newbridge Capital Investment Company, including investing $1 to $2 million himself. The fund invested in several state-owned and Chinese government-linked businesses. Blum's firm's largest holding at the time as China Investments began to draw scrutiny in 1997 was its stake in Northwest Airlines. The then-estimated $300 million position was poised to significantly appreciate in value, as Northwest happened to be the sole airline operator providing nonstop service from the United States to any city in China. When questioned on his China investments, Feinstein's husband, Blum, pledged to donate future profits from the holdings to his nonprofit foundation to help Tibetan refugees, thereby, quote, removing any perception that I in any way, shape, or form, benefit from, or influence my wife's position on China as a U.S. senator. But these conflict of interest issues persisted. In January 1995, Feinstein was appointed to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Subsequently, she made several visits to China, accompanied by her husband, where she met with senior government officials. During these trips, uh, it, it, if the couple, was, the couple was wined and dined, on uh, one such visit in January 1996, Feinstein and Bloom enjoyed a meal with President Zheng in, uh, in uh, one city, the exclusive leadership compound for China's Communist Party, where, according to Feinstein, they ate in Mao Zedong's residence in the room where he died. Feinstein kept up her dogged support for increased trade with China. In May 1996, she penned an editorial in the L.A. Times calling for the United States to grant most favored nation trading status to China on a permanent basis and get past the annual dance that is proving to be extraordinarily divisive and not at all helpful toward reaching the off-stated goal, improvement in human relations. While Feinstein maintained her pro-China positions, in March 1997, the senator revealed that the FBI had warned her that the Chinese government might seek to funnel illegal contributions to her campaign fund. Now, she was one of only six members of Congress to receive such a warning. The New York Times noted at the time Feinstein had returned 12,000 in 1994 contributions from people with connections to Lippo Bank, an arm of the multi-billion dollar conglomerate owned by the Riotti family with investments and operations throughout Asia. The Riottis had been friends and supporters of the Clintons, and it goes on. Let's continue. In May 2000, Feinstein lobbied for making permanent normal trading relations with China, a measure that ultimately passed, 
and helped pave the way for its entrance into the World Trade Organization, which Feinstein also supported. Now, at the time, a spokesperson for Feinstein indicated that her husband had diverted, excuse me, had divested of his last holdings in mainland China in 1999, but Bloom's stake in another Newbridge Capital Asia fund, which contained investments in China, belied that assertion. Meanwhile, in the years leading to the passage of that legislation, Blum's Newberg Capital reportedly invested more than $400 million into East Asian businesses, at least $90 million of which was invested in companies whose profits are pegged to the burgeoning mainland China market, according to the companies themselves, and several of which were partly owned or founded by the Chinese government. If nothing else, Bloom still stood to profit handsomely from management fees for these portfolios. And it goes on and on and on. I just stopped the 2000. Feinstein. And they put a spy in her car as her driver in San Francisco. Feinstein and Bloom, the couple, have made a fortune from their investments in China, from their special treatment, their privileged positions and treatment. They have effectively sold us out. She sits on the Senate Intelligence Committee today. She's a senator. Peter Schweizer writes extensively of the ties that Mitch McConnell's family by marriage has with the Red Chinese Communist Party, the state in China. Elaine Chow's father and her family are among the biggest freight movers and buyers with China. And they make millions and millions of dollars from it. And Schweizer looks at Mitch McConnell's record on the Senate floor of having once spoken out against Red China, now he almost never does. Now, you're going to be learning that there's much, much more of this again on this Sunday show. Not doing, saying this for that reason, but I can't do that show on the radio. There's just too much. But there is a great deal going on. A great deal. Feinstein's economic positions frequently downplay the PRC's rampant human rights violations. The senator has fashioned herself as a peacemaker, often urging appeasement of the Chinese regime in both apologism for such abuses and urging restraint. These efforts date back to the early 80s. Until that time, participants in San Francisco's Chinese New Year parade displayed the flag of the nationalist Chinese government, which had ruled in exile on Taiwan after 1949. According to the San Francisco Gate, then-Mayor Feinstein asked organizers to stop the partisan practice because she wanted to encourage trade with China. She also argued against tying Chinese most favored nation status to human rights improvements. In March 1996, Feinstein sought to ease tensions between China and Taiwan, arranging discussions with high-level Chinese dignitaries on Capitol Hill at China's behest. And here we have Sessions, who recused himself on the Russia matter because he met with a Russian. Has Feinstein ever recused herself from any China matter? During this period, Feinstein took an uncharacteristically aggressive stance towards China's hostile actions, conducting missile tests near Taiwan, presumably in line with the Clinton administration. We view the missile exercises as provocative and unnecessarily. She took an arguably harsher line towards then-Taiwanese President Li Teng-Hu, stating 
What is really necessary is for the leaders of Taiwan to make a statement in word and in deed that they will adhere to a one-China policy. In other words, that Taiwan will agree to surrender its sovereignty to China and get gobbled up. Let's move on. 2015, just a few years back, Feinstein effectively sought to defend the Communist Party in China from criticism on a purportedly pragmatic basis and fighting legislation from Senator Ted Cruz that would have named the street running in front of the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C., Lee Abo Plaza. Ayabo, a Nobel Prize-winning anti-communist writer and human rights activist, had at the time been held in jail for seven years by the Chinese government for criticizing the regime. When Cruz sought unanimous consent for the bill on the occasion of President Xi Jinping's U.S. visit, Feinstein blocked it. A month later, when Cruz reintroduced the measure, citing a statement co-authored by Feinstein and her Democrat colleague, Pat Leahy, calling for his release, Feinstein again blocked it. Finally, in February 2016, the bill cleared the Senate in a unanimous voice vote, though it died in the House amid a veto threat from the Obama administration. Later, Feinstein did co-sponsor a resolution honoring the imprisoned gentleman, freedom fighting in his efforts, shortly after his death in state custody in 2017. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Now, Diane Feinstein has been on numerous so-called news programs attacking the president's relations with Russia. The president has no relations with Russia. She sits on the Senate Intelligence Committee. She should be banned from the Senate Intelligence Committee, the Armed Services Committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee, all of them. She's a danger. She's a self-dealer, in my humble opinion. Now, here's some exciting news. Simply Safe is now valued at $1 billion. Now, why does that matter? Well, look at this. This company used to be just five guys working together. The founder only started the company because he wanted to help his friends who were burglarized. Now it's worth a billion dollars. That's the American spirit. Simply Safe protects over 2 million people, including us. And here's what makes them so great Simply Safe is comprehensive protection for your home with round-the-clock professional monitoring and police dispatch. You get protection against intruders, fires, leaks, and burst pipes. Simply Safe keeps working during power outages, downed Wi-Fi, even if a burglar smashes your keypad. This system is easy to use, it's incredibly intuitive, and it takes just minutes to set up. Now with Simply Safe, there are no contracts or hidden fees, no wires, it's cutting-edge technology. And 24-7 monitoring is only $14.99 a month. You know, CNET, PC Magazine, and The Wirecutter all named Simply Safe their top pick for home security. Order your Simply Safe system now at simplysafemark.com. And my listeners, you, you get free shipping and free returns. That's simplysafemark.com to protect your family and to protect your home today. Simplysafemark.com. Pretty stunning, isn't it? And she can sit in the United States Senate like this? Pretty stunning that, quite frankly, Elaine Chow, Secretary of Labor, Secretary of Transportation. I mean, that's fine, but 
I mean, the, the connections to Red China. Now, Red China expects things in return. All right, let's take this one quickly. Let's, uh, let's pull up. Let's go to uh, line caller five. All right. Ready, guys? Walker, go ahead. Hi, Mark. Um, so I used to work on The Apprentice. Uh, worked. And I wait, wait, wait. Did what? You worked what? On The Apprentice, the television yeah. show The Apprentice. Yeah, what did you do? President Donald Trump. Yeah? And Omarosa is lying through her teeth. He never said any racial slurs on set. Uh, and if he had, it would have been a big deal. Um, she, well, she says he said them at the White House and when she was around him and so forth. And you're saying that's BS. That's not his nature. That's not what he does. No, well, she's also sort of parodying this uh, this story uh, that Tom Arnold is is claiming that there are these tapes of him making all these racial slurs in the boardroom, um, but that's just false. I mean, you have a crew working on set in a boardroom. It's not a very big set. Um, there's probably fifty to sixty people on that set. Many of them who happen to be. Uh, minorities, people of all colors, creeds, backgrounds, uh, sexual orientation. So if he was dropping N-bombs on set, people would have heard, and it would have been a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know what you mean about a set. I have a set, and there's people, a lot of people there, uh, audio people, uh, camera people, people, uh, directors. Uh, you have your microphone pack on, uh, and uh, everything you say even if you uh, sneeze, it's heard by everybody. There's no way to keep secrets. And so where did he say these things when he was only alone with her? Why would he do that? You know, she was always rude, uh, entitled. Uh, people on set generally did not like Amorosa. So it's not surprising that she would come out and say these things, you know, to uh, make money. Can, can I hold you over for a little bit, sir? Yeah, uh, let's see if we can keep Walker, which is not his real name, of course. And we'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, certain football players are at it again. Kneeling, now raising the black power fist, or staying in the uh, locker room. Now, this is really a handful of teams. This didn't happen with the Redskins, as an example, last night. But there are players and teams in which this is uh, this is taking place. And um, we've talked about this a lot. We've explained that this has nothing to do with free speech under the Constitution, since this has nothing to do with the government. That this isn't how you behave if you're patriotic. Uh, when you know you're upsetting people who've served in the military, whether you have or not, and you think it's fine, the fact is there's a lot of people who have served in the military uh, who put their lives on the line, and many have been maimed, who are appalled by this. So exactly who are you sending a message to? 
I mean, quite seriously, what, who are you sending a message to? I heard Stallworth say, Dante Stallworth say, uh, that the president was wrong when he said these guys don't know what they're uh, talking about, that uh, he's obviously not paying attention. Well, I'll say they don't know what they're talking about. They have all kinds of different messages. There's a time and place for everything. And their salaries should be withheld. They're employees. Colors irrelevant. They're employees. They don't own the stadium. They don't own the teams. And you need a team. No private workforce could tolerate this. Even all those sportscasters on ESPN, on NBC, on Fox and elsewhere who defend this. If their crew members started taking a knee and that sort of thing, uh, you know full well that they wouldn't like it then. Well, they're taking a knee. There's a social justice issue or the cops were bad or something or other. They're taking a knee. No, they're actually, they're disrupting a broadcast just like they're disrupting an NFL game. But they don't care because they're narcissists. They're used to getting what they want. That's the truth. Many athletes are. Not all, but too many. Michael Hayden on CNN. Is this the former CIA guy, Mr. Producer? Well, of course we need to know what he thinks about this. He's gotten weird. I should say weirder over time. Uh, Here he is commenting on this to somebody named John. Cut nine, go. I'm as irritated as the next fan. Uh, I view those three hours as my politics-free three hours of the week. But, you know, you've got to rack and stack your values. And uh, my all right, irritation... All right, stop. I've got to rack and stack your values. Where do they get these stupid thoughts from? Got to rack and stack your values? Go ahead. ...with some fundamental issues that are at stake here, including free speech. And these young all right, ad- idiot. This isn't free speech. This guy was director of the CIA, and he doesn't even know what the Constitution means. He has no concept of the First Amendment. This is not free speech. If you do things in the workplace, you can be fired. You don't have a right to free speech in the workplace. Otherwise, there's no organization. There's anarchy. There's no discipline. There's anarchy. There's no productivity. There's anarchy. Let's take it this way. What if we had the men and women on an assembly line building cars and they decide they're going to take a knee? They'd be fired because they're holding up production. There's a time and place for everything. I don't even agree with their stupid uh, protests. There's no systemic this or systemic that in this country. There's no oppression in this country. Yeah, I said it. There is no Listen, follow the bouncing ball, liberals. There is no oppression in this country. You may not like certain things. You may think things are unfair, but that's the nature of a free society. It's imperfect. But we defeated oppression. We defeated slavery. We defeated segregation, as Shelby Steele says. This is baloney. This is crap. And to do it this way is even worse. Go ahead. 
wanting to express themselves about what they view to be a, a serious... They don't get to express themselves in that forum, in that environment. All of us have to show some self-control depending on what form and environment we are in. This isn't about individuals and their individual narcissism or their individual politics or their individual uh, civil rights movement or anything else. That's not what this is. Individuals want to express themselves. Any three-year-old is taught. There's place and time for everything. You don't just get to express yourself. Go ahead. Problem. And, and, and so I expected this. I expect the president to tweet. But, you know, I don't know that more than a third. This of guy the- is a rambling idiot. And how, where do we get these CIA directors from? It's scary as hell. Got this clown, Brennan. Well, he served in the military. Well, fine. He's still an idiot. Go ahead. Will agree with the president, even even among veterans. Mm-hmm. This is a split decision. When this first hit... Excuse last- me. Why don't you ask my father what he thinks? He's a veteran. And I suspect most veterans are disgusted by this. But let's say it's a third of them. It's still wrong. But then again, these are private businesses. They're not taking polls of veterans or anybody else. They're running a business. You're getting paid a lot of money. Go ahead. In October, I did actually take a look statistically as where veterans were, and there was a generational gap. Vietnam veterans seemed to be offended by this. Iraq and Afghan veterans, not so much. And, John, I'm a 39-year veteran. I may be irritated at the players, but I don't think they're unpatriotic. Well, I think they are unpatriotic. What do you think of that? When they're being told time and time again that they're upsetting people. And they specifically picked the national anthem to do it. And what are they getting? Where are they getting with this? I don't even understand. They're getting nothing. This thing is falling completely on, the, on their multiple faces. It's, it is... Uh, but of course, the president tweets, that means he must be a racist, you see. And who knows better than Cornell Brooks, former president and CEO of the NAACP. He's on CNN, too. CNN just loves this stuff. Go ahead. The president is essentially saying that American citizens who are standing up for their rights under the Constitution are too stupid, too ignorant, uh, unable to articulate what, in fact, they're standing against. Well, what are they standing against? I don't believe there's a united message, genius. Go ahead. These players know full well that a young black man is 21 times more likely to lose his life at the hands of the police than his white counterpart. No, 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 no. They know that a black young man is more likely than not if he's killed, he's going to be killed by another black young man. Why do you not explain that, sir? But that's not even the point either. You know, what's interesting about that is you see the slaughter that took place in Chicago, right? Absolute slaughter that goes on there in the weekends. It's like a war zone. It is horrific. How do these mothers and fathers raise their kids in this environment? How do they go to school? How do they learn anything? It's horrific. You don't know if your kid's going to come back alive or not. Or if you're sitting in the living room, they're going to get shot by a stray bullet. Is somebody taking a knee for that? 
White policemen shooting black young men? It's, it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. This is just so ridiculous. The NAACP, this is the former president and CEO of the NAACP. Deflecting. Deflecting. Go ahead. Players understand full well that police misconduct goes on unchecked in this country. And no, black- it doesn't. No, it doesn't. There is some police misconduct. Some of it may go unchecked. Most of it doesn't. And most police are not involved in misconduct. That's a fact. Now we see what's going on in Baltimore. Crime is through the roof because they have marginalized the police there. And who suffers? The people in these communities, most of whom are minorities. Other people who have the money, they get the hell out. Go ahead. Bodies are essentially the punching bags of bad policing and police unaccountability. You know, uh, you, you are a nasty propagandist, sir. Yes, you are. Nasty. The way you generalize about other human beings, the way you generalize about police officers. You're a radical. You're a leftist. So you don't mind. Go ahead. Take a knee. Do push-ups. Stand on your head. Do whatever you want to do, football players. Standing up for injustice. And that's the place to do it, right there at a football game. That'll have maximum effect. People are turned off by this. It's having no effect. What would be interesting is if all these guys taken a knee, if all their names could be taken down, and then you follow them on the offseason and see what the hell they're doing about social injustice, about inequality, about the cops. Go ahead. Uh, the president knows that. But our commander-in-chief is, in fact, the racial opportunist-in-chief in this country. There you go. You see... By condemning what's taking place, first of all, he's not supposed... Everyone has free speech but the president, right? Any nudnik can get on their knee, and that's free speech. That has to be protected, they tell us. But the president of the United States commenting on it, troubled by it, the commander-in-chief, he's a racist because he dares to do it. How about the guys taking knees? Are they racists? No, 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 no. You don't understand. No, I don't understand. So the president should shut up because he's racializing this. And yet this guy just racialized the whole thing. Go ahead. Using this issue to stir his base. In other words, he's using race. He doesn't need to use this issue to stir his base. Are you suggesting, sir, that there aren't Democrats who are upset by this? There are. Everybody's not a radical left-wing kook. In the Democrat Party, apart from the leadership. There's a lot of Democrats and independents who are disgusted by this. There's a lot of Democrats who served in the military. A lot of them are old-time Democrats. That's stirring his base. Maybe you're stirring your base in the Democrat Party. By racializing this. Go ahead. Ah, shut up. You know what? Enough of him. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Greg Garvey, a 
Ocala, Florida, the great WSKY, who's been a dear friend of ours, haven't heard from you in a long time, and you lost your son. Yes, I why don't you Why don't you tell these NFL players who are kneeling and tell these other people who are defending them what you think? Well, on the 28th, I had some words with a guy, some folks at the time, on the 28th of July. That was the day that I had buried my son, 15 years to the day before. Once you watch one of your loved ones buried under the American flag, you will never look at that flag the same way again. And I used to think my son was killed on July the 20th. I, I virtually thought I was 49 years old when he was killed. I virtually thought, and I brought him up that way, that I knew what it meant to be an American. I always did, you know, flew the flag, did everything. I realized that day the price that's paid to be an American. Mm-hmm. Yes, you lost your son. It's, it's, it's the world as I knew it that day stopped turning, literally. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, um, it's, it's a life-changing, life-altering experience. And to know that, and he actually, literally, I mean, I, I spoke with Pat Tillman's father on three different occasions. And he's, he's an attorney out in California. And I said, the only difference between your, our two boys is that my son never had the opportunity to turn, turn down a 3.2 million or whatever, whatever the number is million dollar a year contract playing football and he said I know I know all about you and your son and it's just and that's the way I will him you know these kids are all these young men they're not kids they are kids but they're young men are all cut from the same piece of cloth and it's not all about rah rah you know raising the flag mom's apple pie hot dogs and all that stuff to my son it was a I know that it was a challenge to just uh, compete against the other guys to be one of the best of the best. General Davis Petraeus, the day that I met him, told me that my son was the best of the best of the 187th Infantry, which was his headquarters and headquarters company in Iraq when they were up. And he was in Mosul. My son was killed about 25 miles away. And tell America how your son was killed. I knew. Tell America how your son was killed. He was actually killed. Um, a call came into the base that evening. They had moved them all into. Uh, they they put up a big wall, putting up a big wall to protect him. I became friends with his battalion commander, and he explained everything to me. But anyway, a call came in, and they hadn't. Um, a squad hadn't record, re, uh, reported in. And so Justin, they asked for, came in asking for volunteers to go out and check on, they were protecting a propane transfer station. And Justin jumped up, he put, started putting his boots on, and the guy says, Garvey, you're not going, you're a short timer. He was literally supposed to have gotten out of the Army on July the 18th. His buddies had a bracelet made, he was killed on July the 19th. No. His, official, his official date of death was July the 20th. And he said, those are my guys. I'm going out there. Mm -hmm. So they took off, and 
the sole survivor of the ambush. He's now in special forces, still serving. Mm-hmm. And he told the one guy that was manning the machine gun in the back to get off. He was going with Garvey and whoever. And the kid that was the driver, young man, I call him a kid. He was whatever. He was my son's, my son was the quote unquote vehicle commander. And he says, what do you mean? I'm not qualified to drive this thing. I drove it all the way from Kuwait. He says, you're not qualified to drive it. And he, this was a young man from Alabama who was taking over my son's position. And my son was kind of changed, you know, tell him what to do. And um, so they switched places. If if they hadn't, um, you know, things would have been different. But anyway, um, in about a mile and a half from the base, on the way back in, he was literally, and my son, he was literally hit. Hit with an RPG, my son was. They, they blew him up. Yeah. Greg, hang, hang on a little bit if you can, sir. We'll be right back. America's most powerful conservative voice. The Mark Levin Show. Dial in now. 877-381-3811. I was sent a note from our friends over at Filterby from a new customer. Quote, I've been in the middle of a home renovation and there is drywall dust everywhere. Plus, the contractors are leaving the doors open and it's been over 100 degrees many days this summer. So last week in my AC unit stopped working on the second floor. Turns out that the filters were about 98% clogged with drywall dust and it was choking the system. Buying filters was always a pain because my system needed custom designs. But with Filter Buy, they were able to get me exactly what I needed, fast and at a great price. Thank you for advertising with Mark Levin. True. True letter. Now, because of stories like this, Filter Buy is America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. Choose from over 600 sizes that ship for free within 24 hours, plus they're manufactured right here in America. Save 5% when you subscribe for auto replacement, so you get them on a schedule. That's what we do in the Levin household. Save time, save money, breathe better with FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com, FilterBuy.com. Tell them Mark sent you. Now, Greg Garvey, you know, uh, I've had... uh, family members who fought in various wars. We haven't lost any of them. Uh, And I know they'd be furious with what's happening uh, at the NFL. It seems so trite, but they would be very upset that this is a great deal of disrespect. My father's 93. That's the way he feels. Everybody doesn't feel that way, I understand, but you called for a reason. What did you want to tell America? Exactly what I said earlier. Once you've buried your loved one, under a flag draped coffin, you will never look at or think about that flag the same way again. My son gave his life to defend. I carry I carry a shell in my pocket from his twenty one gun salute that I picked up fifteen years ago from the cemetery. And I wrote a poem one night. November of that year, I was going to get ready to turn 50 years old, and I'm thinking, you know, and I'm in the, I was in the RV business. I could be, and I traveled all over the place taking these things over to sell them. And, 
anyway, and Jim Beam and I had a heart-to-heart talk one night in the hotel room when I emptied my pockets. Because I pulled the shell out, and I looked at it, and I thought, I got, I'm getting ready to turn 50. I could have a heart attack or drop dead or get in a car accident or whatever. Nobody's going to know why in the heck this shell is in my pocket. And I sat down and I wrote a poem. And I'll share it with you and your listeners. I carry this shell in my pocket as a reminder daily to me of the fact that I'm his father no matter where I may be. It isn't here to protect me, and it isn't every for everyone to see. This, this shell is here as evidence between my son and me, and for the price he paid for me. And that's exactly the way I feel about it. How old was your son? 23. The last time I ever spoke to him was on his 23rd birthday there. He was a sergeant with the 101st Airborne, and they deployed that evening. And what date was that? Uh, I don't know the exact date. It was in uh, April of 2003. But okay. he had been—he was literally the first first of ten soldiers from the 101st to be called out when to be sent to Afghanistan right after 9/11. Mm-hmm. And he got hurt in Afghanistan, and they sent him back to the states because they didn't have hospitals or anything set up, and. He was operated on here and so on, but uh, yeah, the last time before he went, when he went to Iraq, was in uh, his birthday's February twenty eighth. So that's the night that he deployed, February twenty eighth, two thousand three. Excuse me, I forgot. I'm trying to think of. Uh, <coughs> you know, Greg, you you called here many many years ago, several times. Right. You are as emotionally upset as the first day I ever spoke to you. You just don't get over this, do you? You just can't put it behind you. No. It's um, your son. It, well, I, I know, and I'm not normally, but I am in this case, an emotional person. Um, but when you love somebody, he was my firstborn son. Firstborn child. He was the leader of the pack of all my kids. And all my kids and his cousins looked up to him. He was just a good kid. He was a smart kid. Good, beautiful kid. Beautiful man. Just never got in any trouble. Didn't, whatever. He was just one of the good guys. And to have something like that happen, and I walk around, I'll be honest with you, I walk around some days and hear some of this crap that's going on in the TV and the radio and all this, and I'm thinking, what in the heck are you doing walking around taking up my airspace that I breathe, and why is my son dead? Mm-hmm. You're a dumb, you're dumb as a rock, and you're spouting off this stuff, you don't know what you're talking about, and my son is dead? Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Mark Levin, I, I'm going to tell you this because I know you're cut short in time or whatever. I love you. I love what you've done for us, for the company, country, and Gold Star families like me. And uh, just thank you. Just That's all I can say is thank you. You Greg, get it. A lot of people don't get it. 
Greg, I don't know what to say. You don't need to thank me. You lost your son. We owe you and your family a great debt of gratitude. And I sit here and wonder sometimes, as you do, as so many Americans do, what's happening to the country. We're focused on such idiotic stuff. The lack of respect that's given to members of the military and law enforcement, it just, it really is just, uh, it, it, it shakes you. It shakes you. I get a call almost every night, Greg, from my father. He's 93, I told you. Right. And he's very upset. He loves this country. He's 93. And he just says to me, what is going on? And so forth. Anyway, anyway I don't want to pile up. Greg. Oh, you just... Tell your dad from me, and I'm sure he's listening, keep the faith and keep it strong. Make it yeah. strong. Yeah. Just, it will, it's going to be what it's going to be. We're going to have to, we, we're fighting every, for every inch of ground in our, in my mind. And uh, that's just the way it has to be. Well, we love you. The, all, all the people on this uh, air, airwaves do, Greg. And God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Now you take care of yourself. Jonathan, Washington, D.C., the great WMAL. Go ahead, please. Good evening, Mark. It's a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Thank, Thank you. you very much uh, for giving us a voice. I'm retired military. My son's active duty. My father's a retired New York City police officer, South Bronx, Fort Apache. My, my brother-in-law, retired cop. All through my life, nothing but military and law enforcement. And as I told the call screener, I'll never watch another football game again. When that stuff started happening, I told my, my wife, never again. I don't, even, I don't even pay attention. I don't even know when the season starts anymore. And I won't. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little about you. Oh, tell- I'm a Gulf War veteran. I joined the Navy in 1985, retired in 2005. I was in uh, Iraq, Afghanistan. I still worked for the Department of Defense over 33 years. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you enormously for your service. I really, We really appreciate that. Thank you. So you take care of yourself. So... Uh, I could take calls like this all night and people would be expressing their views like this. And instead, all we hear about are the protesters, the multimillionaires in their football uniforms. They think something's wrong with the country. There are things wrong. But there's a time and place for everything. I noticed the owners with the commissioner meeting with the union heads and the players... You know who's not at the table? The vets. The veterans. You know who else isn't at the table? The Gold Star families. They're not at the table. Why not? They've put everything on the line. Football players haven't done a damn thing. Commissioner hasn't done a damn thing. Why not have some veterans? Why not have Gold Star families and their representatives at the table to talk about the national anthem and the flag like Ray Garvey just did? Because they don't want to hear from them. All we hear through the media and elsewhere 
is the complaints of multimillionaires about our country. And they have sacrificed the vast majority of them, not a damn thing. Not a damn thing. You know, uh, bet you'll never guess my favorite place to sit. Well, it's in my X chair. I've told you about this X chair. And I love it. And I need to love the chair I sit in because I sit in it all the time when I write my books and do my research, when I do my radio show and so forth. I'm in this chair a lot. And I'm in this chair a lot even when I'm not working. I like it so much. The X chair is not only the most modern and stylish piece of furniture I own, it is luxuriously comfortable. It molds itself to my body, giving me ideal posture, which in turn gives me more energy, better concentration, and more productivity than I ever thought possible. Don't waste another day in some generic chair that you get at one of these office uh, store franchises. Uh, Why? Why waste another day? Care about your posture, your back, your neck? Get an extra. Feel the difference. If you own a company, get them for the entire office and see how much your employees appreciate them and how productive they become as a result. This is a really, really different, unique, outstanding chair. Or I wouldn't be sitting in it all day. Here's a special deal just for you, my listeners. Go to xchairlevin.com. That's xchairlevin.com. Go there now and get $100 off. That's xchairlevin.com. Or you can call their toll-free number, 1-844-4-X-Chair. 1-844-4-X-Chair. Now, X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. So go to xchair.com right now. By the way, if you use the promo code Levin Footrest, Levin Footrest, you'll get a free footrest, which is where I put my feet when I'm doing the show. That's xchairlevin.com. Use code Levin Footrest. Get your free footrest or call them at 1-844-4-X-Chair. I'll be right back. Levin. What a show, boy, emotionally and in every other way. Um, I know several uh, Gold Star families, just wonderful, wonderful human beings, and they all suffer. Some suffer in different ways, but you can imagine why. And uh, these Gold Star families are never interviewed on sports shows. They have no seat at the table when... uh, when there's discussion about what the players are doing, it's all about the players and all about their so-called right to free speech. Uh, when the national anthem is played, uh, when this is a business, there's never really any talk about the emotions that flow from so many people who are silent when these things are going on because they are still suffering. Greg Garvey lost his son 15 years ago. You never get over that. And you can hear the emotion in his voice from the moment he got on the phone. Nobody gets over that. 
I would really like to know. I, I think we're dealing in another one of these unrealities created by the left. I would love to know the names of all the football players who are taking a knee or lifting their fist or staying in the locker room and exactly what contribution they're making to society, to their communities, to make it a more perfect union. Because kneeling at the national anthem doesn't do any of that. It is utterly and completely narcissistic and destructive.
Falcons officially over. The weekend begins now. Please watch the Sunday show on Fox. It's very important. 10 p.m. Eastern, Life, Liberty, and Levin. Fox on Sunday. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, the Border Patrol, and ICE. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Get Al-Qaeda. Get the Taliban. Get Hezbollah. Get Hamas. Get Iran. Get all of them. And I'll see you on Monday. Have a safe weekend. God bless.